This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys with Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your somewhat depressed host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always is Brian Calm. Hey Elon, hey everybody, good to chat with you, what's going on? Well, you know, I was very excited, Brian, to come onto the podcast and talk about Matthew Perot's amazing four-goal game and how amazing you are as a prognosticator. But instead, we're going to have to start by talking about how Matthew Perot is injured because of Daniel Carcillo. Blech. That guy. I hate him. This is all giving me flashbacks of Matt Cook and my fantasy season being ruined two years ago when Carlson went down for an extended period of time. I guess Perot isn't at the level of Carlson, though he was playing, like, at that level. But hopefully also he's not injured for as long. I guess we'll see. We'll talk about it in a second. Maybe first, let's mention that we are presented by DailyFaceOff.com. Proudly presented by DailyFaceOff.com, because that's the place to go on the whole internet. For line combinations, starting goalies, fantasy news, if you want to read about how Matthew Perot is injured or how Pekka Rene's injured, then people have got to be careful. Anyways, you go to dailyfaceoff.com. Am I right, Brian? Yes, you are, Elon. I go there all the time. It's a great fantasy hockey resource. They are very good at making sure that everything reported by beat writers is aggregated and reported in an easy-to-understand format over at dailyfaceoff.com and on their Twitter account at dailyfaceoff. So let's get started. First headline are these injuries. And let's start with Matthew Perot because he's been like our golden boy. And we were so sad to see this happen, especially because of the great week he had been having. The patrons got to hear us uh, gushing over Perot on the patron cast because that was just the next day. But let's just talk about it all. Perot is injured now. It's looking like it's not going to be long term. He had some tests and there's nothing broken or anything. It's an arm injury, but he will be missing a couple of games. And it's interesting to look at what's the effect on Winnipeg's lineup. Because as as you know, Brian, Perot was on the second line and he was on the top power play. Now it's looking like in the end of that last game, and who knows what they'll do now that they have time to reassess. But once Perot got injured, Evander Kane moved on to the second line to play with Shifley and Froelich. And then Tobias Enstrom moved up 
to take over on that first power play. So assuming that these lines hold, Brian, does that mean that these two players become more valuable? We talked about Kane since he came back from injury, not playing with great line mates, having to play with Adam Lowry and Matt Halishuk, but he was actually doing okay. He had three goals playing with them in five games And I think it's a good thing for him to be moved up. I know you and I were a little concerned. We own him in our joint league, and I was excited that he was doing well, and you just wrote back that he's still on the third line, and you were still kind of sad about it. But now that he's up on that second line, I guess he's going to get his best look to produce in a long time. And, man, we've talked about him so much. Is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? This is a really good chance. He is seeing some decent numbers and production lately. And perhaps being with two other offensively capable players, there's going to be a little bit more focus spread out amongst the line. Because I feel like if you're playing against the line of Evander Kane, Adam Lowry, and Matt Halishuk, you know which guy you're trying to stop from scoring. As for Enstrom, power play time is, of course, good. Last season, he had 13 of his 30 points on the power play, which is really promising. Uh, But keep in mind, in a decent power play role, he still only managed 30 total points on the season, 17 at even strength. So unless he's playing, like, entire games on the power play, I don't expect him to suddenly become a different player. I think it would be reasonable to try and expect for 35 from him. He's actually on almost a 40-point pace in the limited time he's seen so far this season. We'll see how the rest shakes out. He's got a pretty low shooting percentage as well. I think it's something good, Elon, to keep in mind that he is on the power play, he is seeing good opportunities, and maybe his even strength scoring will follow as well. And I guess we should mention Matthew Perot, just like, okay, he's injured now, but he was coming off, as everyone knows, this super amazing game. And then he had an assist in his next game against Dallas before getting injured against Chicago. Where do you see Matthew Perot now in terms of when he comes back? What type of player is this? Are we getting back a point per game player when he comes back to our lineup? Is he like a 60 point player? Like, how has your opinion changed of him during this, like, you know, entire stretch, which which ended with this amazing four goal game? I feel like for some people, he went overnight from like a 35-point guy to a 70-point guy when they saw his four-goal game. That's not how I feel. I've steadily thought throughout most of the season that he is kind of like a 50-60-point to 60 point guy depending on the opportunities he's given. Once he started getting the opportunities in Winnipeg, he did take advantage. He had 23 points in his last 20 games played. That goes back to December 1st. It's not a pace he can keep up over a full season, but it is, I don't know, I think it is an indication that this guy is skilled, he can score goals, he can get assists, and he can be a part of a successful team's offense, and I'd say, I'd I'd give him, you know, 50 to 60 points, maybe he'll fall somewhere in the middle there, it's hard because we haven't seen a huge sample of games, he's never been given a good offensive opportunity for more than, I think, like the 30, 40 games he's seen one for now. In previous years in Washington and Anaheim, he'd kind of get bumped up and then bumped back down and up and down the depth chart. This is like the only sustained period that we've seen him in a good situation for putting up points, and I hope when he gets back into the lineup, he's going to be able to step right back into that, unlike Evander Kane, who wasn't. Okay, well, yeah, we're wishing all the best for Matthew Perot. Hopefully he'll come back soon and continue what he was doing, or at least something close to there. The other big injury, like I mentioned at the top, Pekka Rene is out for three to five weeks with a sprained knee. So that's a huge hit, because he was basically one of the top goalies in the league when he went down. 
And Nashville's one of the top teams, so you would think that you need to grab and run Carter Hutton. It might be too late at this point. But at the same time, Carter Hutton, like, is he even that good? So far, he's played in three games since Rene got injured. He came in in relief and had 10 saves against Vancouver. Then the next game against Washington, he got the win. Three goals against, though, 9-12 save percentage, so I guess an average game, but got the win. Then yesterday against Detroit, he led in three goals on four shots before getting pulled. And then the backup, Marek Mazanek, came in, and he let in two goals on 20 shots, so not too much better. Brian, what do you say? Do you think that these backup Nashville goaltenders can provide teams with any value while Rene is out? Or all of a sudden, is Nashville like a team that you want to avoid owning a goalie on? I do want to have one of these goalies, Elon. And the reason why is, well, I think it's a little bit because I learned from last year, I missed out a prime opportunity to help my goaltending when Rene went down last year, because this situation looks very familiar. Rene missed 60 games in 2013-14, and the bulk of the starts went to Carter Hutton, and then Marek Mazanek, and then back to Hutton. And the Preds also traded for Devin Dubnik to try and solve this situation. More on him later in the show, though. Hutton ended up stopping 91% of the shots he faced in 40 appearances while Rene was out. Mazonic was 8 tenths of a percentage point lower with a 9.02 save percentage in 25 showings. That gap actually closes a fair bit between the two when you look at just their even strength numbers. And as for your question, Elon, I was actually thinking that they may be in tougher this time around subbing in for Rene because Trotz and his defense first coaching aren't around this year. But I checked into it, and Nashville is actually giving up a very similar number of shots against and shot attempts against under Peter LaViolette as they did in previous years. Both goalies actually had like these mini spans where they had really great runs last year, but neither of them did anything sustained over any amount of time that made me think that they were for sure NHL starter-worthy. Mazanuk, you might remember, had a 9.33 save percentage over 11 appearances in November of last year and won the NHL Rookie of the Month. Hutton also had a fantastic March and April, but neither did it consistently. So I guess, yeah, you can roll with Hutton. It looks like Renee's going to be back in time for the fantasy playoffs at this point. So if you feel comfortable with your league standing and your goaltending situation, there might not be much sense in sacrificing a roster player or using up a roster transaction to add Hutton or Mazanik. If you have nothing to lose roster-wise or standings-wise, though, it's a pretty fortunate turn for you to suddenly have a starting goalie on one of the NHL's best teams become available. Right, though, it does seem like you might be at risk of having your stats blown up every once in a while, just like yesterday. Is it looking like at this point Hutton is the front runner to play most of these games? It seems that way. I mean, he was the backup out of training camp, and Mazanik hasn't done anything in the AHL this year to suggest that he should be the backup instead. I feel like it's going to go back and forth like it did last year. They'll see who's hot, who's not, and try and roll with the goalie that gives them the best chance of winning. And you should do the same with your fantasy team. You're looking at wins with these guys. They're not going to help you a whole ton in save percentage from the looks of it. I would suggest grabbing Hutton and leaving Mazanig on the waiver wire unless you're really desperate 
for goaltending right now. Then you'll have him in case he does get a run of three or four starts. But Elon, Rene's only missing like three to five weeks. That could equal about 15 starts, say. So even if Mazanek sees half of those, he's only seeing six or seven games. So really, how much is that going to help your team? And then a couple of more goalie injuries worth mentioning that they both are looking like they're going to be short-term. Carey Price and Corey Schneider are injured, though like I say, They're both expected to come back at least after the All-Star break. But, you know, just mentioning in the short run, maybe if you need one game next week, Ryan, would you pick up Keith Kincaid or Dustin Tokarski? They both had pretty weak showings in their first appearances while their starter was injured. Tokarski was lucky to win with an 871 save percentage against the Islanders on Saturday night, and Kincaid came in in relief and stopped 84% of the shots he faced and got a deserving loss against Anaheim. I don't think I'd grab either of them. Both goalies, like you said, seem to be out short term, so we don't know enough, I think, to go and run out and hope that one of these guys is going to get the ball to run with for a little while. And speaking of Montreal, I think Price being injured is a huge problem for them. He's like the key reason why the wheels have not fallen off in Montreal yet this season. Their possession numbers on the year have dipped below Ottawa and Philadelphia and continue to head south. Carey Price is the reason why they are considered an elite team by some this year, including some NHL.com columnists. They're not an elite team this year. They are an average team at best with an all-star goalie. And without him, yeah, they're going to take a hit. That bubble is going to burst a little bit. Elon, I'm going to throw this out there. Instead of Kincaid or Tokarski, would you pick up Victor Fast instead? Oh, no. No, 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 no. 9.46 save percentage in his start on Saturday night. Picked up the shootout win in Florida. Come on, Scrivens has had like a few bad games in a row. Fast is finally maybe getting a chance to take advantage. His start before that, which came like a week and a half ago... He had a 925 save percentage too. I think I'm trying to convince myself as much as I'm trying to convince you. (laughs) Well, you have fast, then he's been glued to your bench for a long time. Hey, you know, I think I would want to see a couple of more games out of him before trusting him with uh, my save percentage category. But let's see who he plays next. Who knows? Maybe he could keep it up. But oh man, fast has an 891 save percentage on the year and Edmonton is not going to provide him a lot of help. So... I wouldn't get too confident about this one win against Florida. No, I've just been waiting for the door to open up a little crack, which means a few bad games from Scrivens and then a good game from Fast. We've got it. This is the test. I think it's actually on now. I think hopefully in the next stretch, I'm going to be able to decide whether he's worth keeping or not for the rest of the season. But if you're desperate for a goalie, I actually, I would suggest you take a flyer on him. If you're thinking already of picking up Tukarski or Kincaid, forget them, add Fast And don't be mad at me when he blows up your weekly save percentage and goals against numbers. Mm. Okay, but I guess Hutton first, just because he's going to get the most games in the short term, at least. Enough of this depressing news of crappy backup goalies and injuries. Let's talk about some outjuries, some players coming back. And number one is James Neal. He was out for a little while on Nashville, I guess sticking with Nashville. But since he's come back, he's played three games, two goals, two assists. And surprisingly, he's not on the top line. I would have thought he'd come back and get back playing with Ribeiro and Forsberg, but instead he's on the second line playing with Colin Wilson and Mike Fisher. 
It's actually Craig Smith who's on the top line in his place. But you know what? It doesn't seem like much of a downgrade for Neil, considering that Wilson and Fisher are both like two of the hottest players in the league right now. So, Brian, what do you think about Neil's return? Do you think that he's going to improve on what was, I guess, a somewhat disappointing season so far? Or do you think, you know, more of the same pretty much for James Neal? It's funny, Elon, that you said this disappointing season so far from James Neal, like he'd have to step it up again because he had a a really hot start with his line mates Ribeiro and Forsberg. And like, I don't know exactly like if what happened to him, we could call falling off like, okay, he did go pointless for like seven games in a row. But outside of those seven games... He's been really good, and I don't think playing with Colin Wilson and Mike Fisher is going to be a bad thing for him. Normally, I would say it is, especially because it means if you're playing with Mike Fisher in Nashville, in the past, you're probably playing a defensive role. However, that's not the case anymore, and I think it's great news for Colin Wilson and Mike Fisher because now they have a legit scorer to play with, to pass to, and take the heat off of them. But Wilson especially, there's no doubt that Colin Wilson is a legitimate offensive threat right now. He's already just four points away from his career high of 35 points in a season. That's the most he's ever scored. He's at 31 right now. Since November 1st, he's tied with Palat Kucherov and Tyler Sagan for third in the entire league in even strength points. Only Tyler Johnson, Ryan Getzlaff, and Vladimir Tarasenko stand ahead of him. So I think this is good news for Wilson. Good news for Neil. I don't know. From Fisher, I'm still, like, wondering how much longer this is going to last. One player I do wonder about, though, is Philip Forsberg. Since James Neal left the lineup on December 30th, Philip Forsberg has just a goal and three assists for four points in his last nine games. It's hard to know if this drop-off is linked directly to missing Neal or was just a coincidence because this was due to happen anyway. Maybe it's a bit of both. A situation to monitor for sure, but suddenly it looks like the Predators have two scoring lines. Well, I guess one promising thing about Forsberg, at least, is if you look at his last four games, he's got four and five shots in all of those games. So at least he's taking shots. You'd think eventually some more of these are going to go in. But yeah, definitely a fall off from when he was, you know, a point a game for most of the start of the season. Now he's got 39 points in 44 games. I see Philip Forsberg as, like, hopefully a 65, 70-point guy this year. It'll be really interesting to see what happens in the second half. Yeah, that'll be a really big time to watch. And we've seen what he can do over a 20 or 30-game stretch. Now let's see what happens when that is stretched to 82. And the next outro I want to talk about is a guy we haven't talked about this season yet, which is surprising because I feel like we talked about him a lot in season one last year of Keeping Carlson. But Martin Hansel is back. He was injured for four games over in Arizona. And that's no surprise. Hansel seems to always go down with injuries every once in a while. I remember it was very frustrating being a Hansel owner last season. But, you know, he's had a pretty decent year so far. If you think about it, you know, 22 points in 33 games, which is definitely fantasy relevant, not a superstar. But if you combine that with his hits, and he puts up a lot of hits, actually, in his first game back since his return, he had eight hits. So he has the ability to deliver on some peripherals. And, you know, he could chip in some offense every once in a while. There was that one goal, three assist game against Columbus before he went down with his injury. 
Brian, what do you think about Martin Hansel? We haven't talked about him this year, like I said. Where do you see the value of a guy like this? Is he someone that if he's on people's free agent list, they should take a look at grabbing? For you last year, Elon, he was a bubble guy at the beginning, right? But eventually he earned a spot in your lineup? Yeah, last year Hansel definitely had his breakout season. He had 40 points in 65 games. If he wouldn't have gotten injured, he would have probably had more like 50 points. And yeah, he was on my roster for most of the year. Near the end, I dropped him once he got injured and it was, you know, close to playoff time. Yeah, I think he's a 50-point guy that hasn't stayed healthy long enough to actually ever reach that mark. And if your league counts hits, there's some added value there. He's playing on kind of a weird line, not in a bad way, right now with Sam Gagne and Martin Erat. Uh, He's seeing secondary power play time. And there is value. I think that he's somebody that you should be considering if you've got a roster spot doing nothing. Say you've got a snoozer or two on your roster. He is a guy worth looking into. I think he flies under the radar because expectations were so high when he came into the NHL and he just kept getting hurt every season. I feel like his points tend to come in bunches too. I haven't looked into that a whole lot to see if that's actually true. But my impression of him is kind of like, he'll come on sometimes for your team and help you out a bit, but then he'll go away again, maybe because of injury, maybe because of a slump. I'd like to throw out another Coyote's name while we're on them, though, Elon. Mikkel Bodker has been doing pretty well this season. He's got 28 points in 44 games. He's another guy, actually, who was drafted, expected to come on really strong into the NHL kind of fizzled over his first like four or five seasons last year he broke 50 points so this year he's on pace to do the same he just came off a four game point streak on which he scored five goals and an assist but like ones twos and zeros in the shot column for his last 10 games so that's not a super promising sign but maybe also worth taking a look at in deep leagues. Yeah, we don't really talk much about the Coyotes aside from their goaltending. And they're one of these teams that doesn't really have a clear top player. You know, I guess you could talk about Yandel and Ekman Larson as the most valuable fantasy assets on their team. Brian, who would you take? If you could have any forward on the Coyotes right now, who would you want? Would it be Bodker or would it be maybe Antoine Vermette or Shane Doan? I was going to say Antoine Vermette for sure, but when I took a look at the actual numbers, Bodker has only one less point and scored six more points last year. They both have sort of unsustainable shooting percentages. I don't know. Is this like a trick question? Who would you pick? (laughs) Well, I don't know. He's injured right now, but I think I would actually say Shane Doan. Like, I know he's uh, getting up there in age, but he's right in there in terms of the scoring race on Arizona, 23 points in 42 games, and he takes the most shots on goal. Give me Doan. Just for this season. Yeah, you probably don't want to keep him. Actually, Elon, we had him on our roster for like a week earlier this year, but then we dropped him. I still have him on the watch list. I didn't know that. (laughs) And I guess let's stick with Arizona because they made a trade this week. Devin Dubnik, who we seem to talk about every week. And I was thinking, okay, now let's take a break from talking about Dubnik. But then he got traded to Minnesota, which has huge implications for both teams, I would think. First, let's talk about Minnesota. Obviously, they weren't doing so well with Kemper and Backstrom as their duo. Kemper's been on the IR for the last little bit, but he's scheduled to be coming back soon. Does this mean that... Nicholas Backstrom's time in the NHL is coming to an end. He definitely hasn't earned his spot. And Dubnik has been doing really well since he's gotten to Minnesota. Two starts so far. A shutout against Buffalo, which I guess isn't much to uh, brag about. But then he beat Arizona yesterday very convincingly. 
What do you think is going to happen over in Minnesota, Brian? I joke that when Dubnik was traded to Minnesota, it kind of ended the careers of three goalies, potentially. Backstrom, I think, is pretty much done for the season. I can't imagine he gets a lot of starts. I've heard that the Wild are going to carry three goalies for the rest of the season, and so perhaps he'll see a spot start here and there, but I think he's definitely the third of the group. If he could have handled the starts he was getting, the Wild wouldn't have made the move. The second goalie who this probably spells trouble for is Josh Harding, who hasn't played since being dehydrated after like his second or third game playing with Iowa of the AHL. He's still on my roster in like a not active slot. I think he's going to stay there just because why not? But you'd be pretty optimistic and I should say irrationally optimistic if you are expecting to see Josh Harding in an NHL game this year. And that's another reason why the Wild had to make that move. The third goalie who this could spell the end for is Martin Brodeur. Don't think it was a total coincidence that right as the trade happened, he announced he was taking a one-week personal leave from St. Louis. Maybe he thought that they should have traded him to the Wild instead of Dubnik and accepted less of a return to make the trade happen. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what Brodeur thinks he deserves. He doesn't deserve a whole lot at this stage of his career. I think he spent all the goodwill he accrued from those years of being an elite and incredible fantasy hockey and NHL goaltender. And I just don't see him landing with another team now that he sort of looks like on the outs with the St. Louis Blues. But now I suppose I should actually talk about the guy who was traded, Devin Dubnik, and what this means for him. What it means is that he's going to save the Wild. He's going to lead them to the playoffs. Except that they are third from the bottom in the Western Conference and are projected right now to miss the playoffs. They're not really in the hunt right now. So look, I see the appeal of Devin Dubnik. In fact, I think I've been one of his biggest defenders and boosters since that flameout in Edmonton 18 months ago. I got excited when he was traded to Nashville, and then again when he was traded to Montreal, even though he was awful in a very few appearances with the first team and didn't even see a game with the Habs. We talked about him earlier this year as at least a league average goalie who can help you get some extra help in your goaltending categories as a number three kind of guy. He was on a poor Coyotes team. Now he's with the Wild. They're, I mean, they're a fair bit better in the standings, but who isn't than the Coyotes? And they're a lot better on paper. So I think that's good for Dubnik and his owners. But don't get too swept away with grand illusions of 10-game win streaks and 977 save percentages because of the two wins that he's picked up versus the 30th place and the 27th place teams in the NHL. The Wild have to win those games anyway with how they've been playing and the pressure they're under. That said, I'd still consider Dubnik as a number 1A or number 1B for the rest of the year because I think I am taking Backstrom out of the picture, even in a three-goalie system, he's probably a number three. And that makes Dubnik a good add, as he hopes to see starts for a wild team that's trying to save their season from being a total disaster. We know that Kemper has had his share of struggles, and I think that's putting it lightly. I don't know how hard Kemper pushes Dubnik. I don't know how hard Dubnik pushes Kemper. I guess we'll see in, hopefully, the next week or two, once Kemper comes off the IR and the two share some starts. Well, a lot of poolies are going to have a decision to make, right? When Kemper comes off the IR, they're going to have to decide whether to drop someone to make room for him back in their lineups or to just cut bait. What do you think at this point? Is there a point to hang on to Kemper now that he's 
the backup potentially on a not so great Minnesota Wild team? In a medium or deep league, again, it totally depends on your own goaltending situation. But what I'm going to do with Kemper, because I own him, I'm going to leave him in IR for as long as I can, for as long as it makes sense for the rest of my roster transactions and moves. And let the thing play out for a week or two. So I'm not going to use up a roster spot. The only thing is it it stops me from adding another player from free agency to my team while he is still in my IR while not actually being eligible to be on my IR. But I really just want to see how this plays out. To be honest, I have no idea. Dubnik is probably a better NHL goalie than Darcy Kemper. From what we've seen from both of them over the course of their careers... I've seen more from Dubnik to prove to me that he is worthy of a number one job in the NHL than I've seen from Kemper. However, Kemper is the Wilds guy. He's been in their system for a couple years, although he was in the ECHL not too long ago. They've committed to him all season, paid him a lot of lip service. I don't think they're just going to cut the cord with him either. And yeah, we'll for sure provide an update on an upcoming Keeping Carlson episode. Obviously, also you can follow us on Twitter. I'm sure Brian will be definitely tweeting up a storm when Kemper comes back at keeping Carlson. The other trade to mention, I'm not sure if it's too fantasy relevant. In fact, it's probably just a nice PSA. If you happen to have picked up Mark Arcobello when you saw he got traded to Pittsburgh, you could probably drop him now. He's finally came in to play one game. He played eight minutes and 45 seconds playing on the fourth line on the Penguins. So no value there unless I'm missing something, Brian. No, I think you've got it. There's not a whole lot going on with him in Pittsburgh. So then let's shift to the next thing I want to talk about, which is a couple of players who have moved up their team's depth charts. And one of them who we haven't mentioned, we talked about on Chicago when Christopher Stieg got injured. We said, okay, well, this is simple. Then Patrick Sharp's just going to come into the second line and take the spot that Versteeg had alongside Patrick Kane and Brad Richards. But that's actually not what has happened. Instead, it's Brian Bickle on the second line. Sharp is still on the third line. And you know what? Bickle has been doing pretty good. He's got five goals and two assists in his last nine games. He's also putting up a decent number of hits. His last three games, he has six, five, and eight. So a nice little multi-cat producer right now. It's looking like it's still going to be at least another couple of weeks before Versteeg comes back and maybe longer. So Brian, do you think Brian Bickle is a good short-term ad? As long as he's in that spot on the Blackhawks' second line, sure. His ice time is probably about the highest it's been all season right now, with a brief exception from about 20 games ago. But he's seeing like 14 minutes of ice a night. He was seeing eight or nine minutes not so long ago, though. So I I don't know what the long-term plan is. You know, line combination speculation is a really tough thing to do. I don't know what the Blackhawks are thinking, but I think that it's working out all right for them. If they can spread their offense across three lines, then I suppose they take that option if it's working out right now. Sharp has still managed six points in nine games playing on that third line. So now the Blackhawks are seeing offense from three lines. And I think if you're somebody who, say, added Tom Wilson or Andre Burakovsky or one of the Dallas Stars players who's filled in on that top line, then you're probably interested in adding Brian Bickle as well. I don't think he's a bad ad. I think he's actually a pretty good and stealthy ad. Good on you, Elon, for noticing him. It'll just be really important to watch who his line mates are, and you can check Daily Faceoff for that. You should probably check on, like, a nightly basis, because once he's off that line... Forget about it. Yeah, it'll pretty much be over for him. His career high is 37 points. That came way back in 2010-2011. Last season, he had 15 points in 59 games. Now he has... 
18 points in 44 games, but like nearly half of those points have come in the last eight games over the last three weeks. Okay, and Brian, I've got a game for you now. I've thought of two other players who look like they're in the same kind of situation as Bickle, playing on their team's second line with really good players on the second power play unit. Who would you want the most? Rank these three players. Okay, there's Brian Bickle playing on the second line on Chicago. There's Riley Sheehan, who's now on the second line with Detroit, playing with Tatar and Nyquist. And then there's Josh Bailey, who's actually playing on the first line over on the Islanders. And he's been there for a little while and actually had three assists a couple of days ago against Pittsburgh on the game that Kyle Poso, by the way, scored four goals. And then he had two assists yesterday against Montreal. If you had an open roster spot, say if Matthew Perot got injured, who would you want the most between Bickle, Sheehan, and and Bailey, guys who are all taking advantage of awesome line mates. It's funny, Elon, because when Josh Bailey first went up on that line, we gave the classic, this is a revolving door. A lot of guys have been tried here and moved all around. Nobody's going to stick. Who knows what's going to happen next? And Josh Bailey has been there for at least the last 10 games, which is, I think, longer than anyone's lasted on that line, save for maybe Corey Conacher from earlier in the season, right at the outset in October. He'd be my first choice, as long as he stays there. And even if he doesn't, he still has some value. The knock against him is that he does not take a lot of shots on goal. Just 54 shots in 33 games this year. Last year, he had 98 shots in almost a full season's worth of games, 77 games. He gets like one and a half on average per game, maybe one and three quarters. But I mean, if you're looking that closely, then it's probably like a bit of a red flag. You don't want to be dealing with too many guys who have fewer than two shots on goal, because if they don't score, then they're not contributing anywhere else in your matchup. I think my second choice would be Brian Bickle. And third, I'd take Riley Shane. We've talked about him on the podcast before. He's having a pretty good season. 21 points in 45 games. But of the three, he's been the coolest. And I think if you're looking to add one of these three guys, you're trying to find the hot hand. You're trying to get the guy while he's hot or as he's about to become hot and ride him as long as you can and then drop him when you're done. Right. Well, at least watch Sheehan because he does have three assists in his last two games. We'll see if he can keep it up. And hey, playing with Nyquist and Tatar, not bad line mates. The other player I wanted to mention is Ryan Callahan, who we talked about before as someone whose value had gone down since he was moved off the top line on Tampa with Stamkos, but now he's back playing with Stamkos. So uh, I guess that puts him back where he was before, though he isn't on the top power play anymore. He's still on the second power play. But, you know, it seems like things are changing in Tampa. Tampa's such an awesome team. They have so many good scorers. And definitely if uh, Ryan Callahan is now available in your league, someone dropped him because he was off the top line, uh, I would grab him. Because if you're on the top line with Stamkos and you're a good player like Callahan, you're going to see some points. He had a power play goal yesterday. Yeah, points in four of his last five. And the caveat, Elon, is that when he was not with Steven Stamkos, he was barely doing anything. I think he's like... Probably a 50-point guy if he's the one who's primarily responsible for driving his offense. So as long as he can be somebody's passenger, or like maybe that's a little unfair to him, so I don't know, semi-passenger, then he's a good guy for you to have on your team. Next, I want to bring back a segment that we did a couple of weeks ago, which was a lot of fun. Brian, let's play some sustainable or fleeting. And that's where I'm going to tell you some players who are currently on hot streaks. And you'll say whether you think these streaks are sustainable and they're going to keep up or fleeting. And these players are actually not people you want to add to their rosters. And these are just sort of lucky streaks. And let's start in Edmonton, because we talked about Derek Roy when he first got traded there. And you said that, oh, he might be actually a good fit there compared to, you know, his role in Nashville. And Roy had done pretty well since he arrived. In fact, he's got two goals and four assists in his last seven games. 
though he is pointless in his last two. The other guy in Edmonton that I want to talk about is his line mate, Benoit Pouliot, who's got six goals in his last five games and seven goals in his last eight games. No assists, but hey, who needs assists if you're getting all those goals? So, Brian, what do you think about Roy and Pouliot? Roy, we actually talked about just this past week on the Patron cast. We mentioned this article from Jonathan Willis over at the Edmonton Journal. And essentially, Willis is saying that Roy is not a good long-term fit for the Oilers and that what he has been able to produce is great. It's all been great, but he has not really done it in a sustainable way. At the time that it was written, the Oilers had scored on six of the 31 shots that had been taken while Derek Roy was on the ice, which is like totally unreasonable. That's like 20% of the shots taken going in. And that's why his numbers were getting good a little bit. And since then, actually, he has no goals and no assists in his last two games. He does have five shots on goal, though. It's very rare to see a four-shot game from Derek Roy, but he did it against Tampa. Either way, I'm not expecting to see a whole lot from him. He is definitely fleeting. I hope he can be, like, a good support guy, maybe in, like, a depth scoring role on an NHL team. But you should not be counting on him for offense for your fantasy team. Pouliot, on the other hand, is a little bit kind of the same. I wanted to say different, but he he's more the same than I'd like to admit, I think. He is also averaging well under two shots a game. He's got 10 goals so far on 42 shots this year. Six of those goals came in his last five games, and they came on 10 shots. So congratulations to Benoit Pouliot for scoring on 60% of the shots he took over a four-game stretch. It's good. I mean, he's a decent player. There's nothing wrong with him, but he is a career-high 36-point guy. He's shooting 23.8% on the season. I wouldn't expect it to be terribly sustainable, but I would have him just a little bit above Derek Roy in terms of where I'd put them on my watch list. And the next player I want to look at is Alish Hemsky, who maybe I a bit prematurely said a couple of episodes ago that he's probably done in the NHL. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, especially since he's currently riding a streak of five goals and three assists in his last 10 games. So he's been really great lately, and he was doing nothing for most of the season. We've kind of cataloged how bad Hemsky has been doing. This season of Keeping Carlson has been a documentary about how bad Hemsky's been doing, but now I guess we have to give him some credit. Eight points in his last 10 games. Brian's sustainable or fleeting here's the thing with Hemsky is that his numbers at the start of the season were so bad that even though the points he's scoring can be attributed to some good puck luck over the last little while it just about evens out his numbers on the season so right now if you look at his total he's got 18 points in 41 games he's shooting just under 10 percent and I think maybe that's a good snapshot of what we can expect him to be for the rest of the season. So say he's on like a 36-point pace this season so far. I'd hope he breaks 40 points. I'd hope he breaks 45 points. But at this point, it's just not looking too lightly. He saw a 19.4 on-ice shooting percentage during a big chunk of this stretch where he's been doing so well. That's not going to last. It does, like I said, really offset some really low on-ice shooting percentage numbers that he'd posted earlier this season. I'm really excited that he's doing well. I do think that what he's doing now isn't sustainable, but his futility from before was also fairly unsustainable. So let's assume he lands somewhere in the middle, which, like I said, averages out to essentially what his stat line is right now. 
All right, so his overall season production is sustainable, but his last 10 games, that's fleeting. Let's go to Ottawa now. Brian, did you know that Mark Stone has a five-game point streak going? And he's got three goals and five assists in his last nine games? Who's Mark Stone? And is this even somewhat remotely sustainable? Who's Mark Stone? Elon, if you listen to this fantasy hockey podcast called Keeping Carlson, (laughs) I think you'd know who Mark Stone is. We've talked about him because he's done this before. He went on a run earlier this year where we suggested that you should pick him up. This was the way back in October and November where he was putting up points consistently throughout the beginning of the Sen season. Then he went cold for about a month and then he started showing up again. He had a five-game point streak in mid-December also and he has been producing pretty consistently since the start of December he hasn't gone more than three games without a point and maybe that's when a lot of people finally got frustrated with him if they were still hanging on to him they finally dropped him and that might be a good reason for you to pick him up I'd, I'd, I'd take a flyer on Mark Stone I'm not saying that what he's doing right now is something that he can keep up for the rest of the season he's not going to be like over a point per game for the rest of the season but if you look at his stats it's Considering the dry spells he's had, he's got 24 points in 42 games so far. This will be his first full NHL season. This might actually have some relevance for those in keeper pools. I imagine like he's kind of like a fringe guy in a lot of deeper keeper pools. And he might be somebody you want to throw on your squad. He has a good pedigree. I think reasonable things are expected from him over the course of his NHL career. I think eventually he'll definitely be a 50-point guy. I don't know if this is the season he does it. But you can probably count on him for at least a half a point per game from this day going forward. All right. Well, he's only owned in like 2.5% of ESPN leagues. So if you want Mark Stone, you could probably get him. I will mention that he's playing currently in Ottawa on the fourth line with Jean-Gabriel Pajot and Milan Mikalik, so not the best line mates, though I guess Mikalik used to be considered a really good line mate. He also doesn't take many shots, that's for sure. Mark Stone has, in 42 games, 61 shots, so less than two shots a game. But yeah, he's on this current streak, and Brian says he has a good pedigree, so you could make the roster decisions that you think are best for you. I think maybe you're hearing my commentary through Sen's colored glasses, because like usually when I say a guy has a good pedigree, it means he was like a first or second round draft pick. But he was picked in the sixth round, 178th overall in 2010. He was a great junior player in the Western Hockey League with the Brandon Wheat Kings, and then he had a pretty good season last year in the AHL, scoring 41 points in 37 games. So perhaps people who aren't drinking the Ottawa Prospect Kool-Aid like I occasionally do wouldn't see him as having a high pedigree, but I do see promise. I know the Sens are going to rely on him sometime in the near future to start being one of their top six point producers. And the last player I want to mention for sustainable or fleeting is on the other end of league availabilities. He's not owned in 2.5% of leagues. He's probably owned in close to 100% of leagues. But we have to mention Alex Steen. He's on fire right now in St. Louis. He's currently riding a nine-game point streak, a five-game goal streak. Now he's got 36 points in 42 games, and you know that percentage is inching closer and closer to point per game every day, it seems. Last season, he had 62 points, and before that, he never had higher than 51 points. So, Brian, I'm not saying, you know, should people be thinking of dropping Alex Dean because it's not sustainable. Obviously, he's a must-own in every league, 
But do you think that he's currently on pace where he can break his points of last season? Because last season he had 62 points, but he was injured for a little bit. So he was close to a point per game. Do you see him as a point per game player? Or do you see him more as the 51 point player that he was before last season? And right now he's just riding some luck or something. Sure, there's definitely a bit of luck involved. But that first line in St. Louis of Bacchus, Oshie, and Steen, they are all on fire. If you look at all the stat lines from recent games, like look at David Bacchus. He has five multi-point games in his last six. And the one that wasn't a multi-point game... He still got a point. One of those was a four-goal game against Arizona, and these three were actually guys that came up a lot in like our Facebook group discussions and on Twitter as like, what's the deal with these guys? When are they going to step up? When are they going to show up? Should I offer them in a trade? Should I try and sell on them while they're not totally in the tank? We recommended to a few people, I think, that they try and buy low on, say, Bacchus and Steen Oshie. I've never been so huge on, but he's in the process of proving me wrong. All three of them super hot right now, not exactly sustainable. But if you remember, like way back in the season, we were talking about how Laterra, Tarasenko, and Schwartz were like the only ones scoring for the St. Louis Blues. Finally, the rest of the team is showing up, and you're seeing it in their numbers and being very rewarded if you own one of them. I suppose, Elon, if you want to go in that direction, you could consider selling high on them. But I I honestly think that if you own them, you've been through enough rough stuff with them this year to kind of just sit back, enjoy what they're doing. Don't count on it to last at this rate for the rest of the season. But I do expect steadier production over the second half of the season than they offered us over like the first third. As far as Steen goes, yeah, he did have 62 points last year in 68 games. So like that's almost about the same pace that he's putting up now, except this year. He's doing it with a lower and, like, much more reasonable shooting percentage, which is actually very promising. So do I think he cracks 60 points this year? I think he's got a really good shot to do it. Yes, in a full 82-game season, I think he could match or at least come within spitting distance of his career high. Brian, I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say I think he will beat his uh, total of 62 points last season. I'm going to call 65 points for Alex Steen. How about that? Next One quick pronunciation update I want to give. We started this last week correcting ourselves for all the bad pronunciations we do. And then our great fans on Reddit, r slash fantasy hockey, on Twitter at Keeping Carlson, and in our patron-only Facebook group, they correct us now. We're asking you, please, correct us whenever we mispronounce a player's name. Last week, I said David Krejci. I don't know why. It's David Krejci. So I definitely will make an effort to not make that mistake going forward. And speaking of the patron-only Facebook group. I want to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. We do this every week, but I just want to say, you know, we really appreciate these people are giving us a small amount of money, $5 a month, helping to support a show that they care about. And we just want to say that we really appreciate it. And I want to say especially thanks to the newest patrons, Warren Brown, Rickard Stenville, Simon Steckley, Dave Benton, Chris, Eric Nielsen, Mike Bucklaw, and Saqib Manan. Thank you so much for your support. Like, you know, we've been mentioning throughout the show, we had our patron cast just last Wednesday. It was a lot of fun. We're going to have another one coming up, you know, in the next month. So we'll definitely start promoting it as it comes up. And then we have the patron-only Facebook group where we're all giving each other advice and asking questions, crying about Matthew Perot being injured. It's a lot of fun. And if you want to become a patron or at least want to check out some more information, go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. 
It really means a lot to us. Elon and I track all this stuff for our pleasure. We love doing it, but we love to know that you love what we do also. We spend a lot of time looking up box scores every night, preparing the show throughout the entire week. We wake up early on a Sunday morning. If you appreciate that effort, we would so much appreciate for you to show us by becoming a patron. You can even just kick in a dollar a month if you just want to say, hey, you're there and you're listening. $5 a month, like Elon said, gets you access to the Facebook group where we love to chat with everybody. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron if you want to find out more. And you would think, oh man, you've talked about so many players, the show must be over. No! The show is not over. We have more players to talk about. Let's talk about some players of note, just other players. I couldn't fit them into a category for everything we've talked about before, but I still want to talk about them. Brian, I want to start by talking about Kyle Ocposo. I mentioned he had that four-goal game. I basically want to shout out, since we're talking about the patrons, I want to make a shout-out to the patrons. We talked about how good Kyle Ocposo is on the patron cast, and I think that might be the new form of us giving good luck to players, right? Because it used to be that I say, does this player suck? Then that player does good. How about I talk about how good this player is on the patron cast, and then they respond by getting a four-goal game against Pittsburgh. And again, I'm talking about Kyle Ocposo. Then yesterday, one goal and one assist against Montreal. The guy only has 13 goals on the year, and almost half of them, six of them, are in his last four games. So Kyle Ocposo is, again, having an amazing season, just like he did last year. Any doubters of Kyle Ocposo should know that they shouldn't be. He's amazing. Next year, he'll be drafted in like the second or third round in most pools, I predict. Yeah, what more can I really say, Elon? You just about covered it, and we already talked about Josh Bailey. Now you've mentioned Kyle Poso. Let's also shout out John Tavares for being good. As always, that whole top line in New York is really rolling these days. I wanted to bring attention at the beginning of the week to Kyle Palmieri. He was doing pretty well. He had four points in five games at one point, but his shot on goal totals were concerning. He's playing with Ryan Kessler and Matt Bolesky on the second power play and has sort of cooled off a little bit over the last few games. So actually by the end of the week, now I'm more interested in his line mate, Matt Bolesky. He is Anaheim's leading goal scorer. He has as many goals in 43 games played this year than he did in his last 97 games played over the last two seasons. The thing is though, six of his 13 even strength goals came while he was playing with Ryan Getzlaff, who he hasn't been sharing the ice with a whole lot over the last while. He's been with Ryan Kessler instead, and listen to this, in nearly 200 more minutes spent together at even strength with Kessler, Bolesky has two fewer goals than the six he scored with Getzlaff. He only has 11 more shots on goal in those 200 plus extra minutes also. His shooting percentage is sitting just below 17%, and it is about 5 percentage points higher right now than his average career mark. So for scoring, to be honest, I'm not terribly optimistic that he's going to be able to score another 17 goals over the second half of the season. All that said, he is one of the Ducks' best shot-suppressing forwards. The other is Patrick Maroon, so let's give him a little bit of credit for that. Doesn't matter for your fantasy team, really, at all. But he has been very good at making sure that while he's on the ice, the majority of the shots taken are on his team rather than the opponent's. 
Yeah, I actually thought, Brian, that I might mention Bolesky in our snoozer segment of the show, but I might as well just say right now, he was actually scratched three games ago against Toronto and then came back to only play 10 minutes against New Jersey. Yesterday, he played in 16 minutes against LA, didn't get any points though. So I think that maybe like not a snoozer in terms of like he's completely useless, like he does have 23 points in 45 games, but 17 goals, he is not going to double that in the second half of the year, especially if, like you said, he's not on the top line. I think that if you could find someone in your pool who is not paying attention to what's happened in the past week, I would sell high on Beliski. I'm not saying to drop him, but I definitely think you should try to trade him while he still has this amazing number of goals compared to the number of games he's played. Yes, Elon, I do think that he is a good sell high opportunity. If you can convince anybody who didn't notice that he was scratched, I don't think it was fair that he was scratched. In fact, it had a lot of people scratching their heads, including me, because of the defensive reason that I just mentioned. But offensively, if you can get someone to see, hey, he's got 17 points, more than anybody on the Ducks, you can have him for like a 50-point guy, I would make that deal. And the next guy I wanted to talk about is Braden Holtby. His loss against Nashville on Friday was his first regulation loss in 10 games. And the backup, Justin Peters, finally came in to play his first game yesterday since November. And he sucked. Five goals against versus Dallas. So I don't think Holtby is in any risk. He's become the biggest workhorse in the league, right? He's just playing every game. Anytime Peters comes in, it just proves that Holtby should be in for every game. The guy's got 22 wins in 39 games on the season, a 923 save percentage. We haven't really mentioned him, and I feel like at this point we have to start talking about Braden Holtby as one of the elite goalies in the league, or Brian, am I going a bit crazy? And especially if you're in a keeper league, the guy's only 25 years old. How valuable is Braden Holtby? Where do you rank him currently in terms of the goalies in the NHL? Well, if I were to rank based on even strength save percentage, which I would generally do, like that's the first place I go if I'm looking to see how good a goalie is. Over the last two seasons before this one, he was seventh in the NHL with a 931 even strength save percentage that puts him right below Ben Bishop and right above Carey Price. However, we've seen what happened to Bishop this year. His fortunes went south while Holtby's have actually gone quite north. He's got a 923 save percentage, and I think the exciting thing is to see that he is establishing himself as a number one goalie. I know at the start of the season, when the Caps brought in Peters, I was thinking that was still, like, just in case Holtby's not ready to start games, because he only started 45 last year, barely half the team's games. But he just had, like, a record-breaking run of consecutive starts at what ended at, like, 23 or 24, something crazy like that. And he was able to prove himself. So I think it's good news for him right now. And Elon, like you said, he's young. But the, the line in statistics for goalies is that goalies are voodoo. We don't know what's going to happen with them from season to season. We can look at who's got the best numbers over the biggest sample size and make our best guess based on that. And by doing that, I'd see him as like a really viable keeper candidate, especially as it becomes harder and harder to find like a standalone starting goalie in the NHL that is not going to be pushed by a number two into like a number one A, one B situation. Holtby is definitely established now as a number one goalie, which sounds silly to say at this point, but I feel like it wasn't necessarily set in stone going into this year. Considering the team he plays for and the direction they're going right now, I would consider him in, you know, my top 
five to seven keeper goalie options right now. Where would you put him in, Elon? Well, I don't know. I'm very excited about him right now. So it's maybe not the best time to ask me. At this point, I feel like, you know, everyone talked about how Corey Schneider was the sort of top keeper goalie that you'd want to have behind maybe like Tuka Rask. I'd rather have Holtby than Schneider right now if we're just looking at the next two, three seasons. Yeah, he's actually a fair bit of a better option right now than Corey Schneider, especially because the teams seem to be going in opposite directions. Although maybe Washington is doing well because of Holtby, and I don't think I would blame Schneider for the troubles in New Jersey. So different situations, it's hard to really know what they'd be doing if their circumstances were flipped. But at this point, I think I would want Holtby. I mean, we gave Schneider a lot of credit at the outset of this season because he had some fantastic even strength save percentage numbers over a considerable amount of time. Like he was up there with the elite goaltenders in the league like Tuka Rask and Henrik Lundqvist. But hey, this is the difficulty we have with goalies. Before this season, I would have told you that Braden Holtby and Ben Bishop were very, very similar goalies and they've turned out to be Very different in their play so far this year. And Elon, let me take us from Washington to one of our favorite teams to talk about this year. It's the Florida Panthers. And another Panther is coming on the scene. And he's been there before. It's Jonathan Huberto. He's just about back on the same pace that he set during his rookie season in the lockout shortened year. In that season, he showed what his promise was with 31 points in 48 games played. Right now, he's got 25 points in 40 games played, and that's despite a dismal start to the season when he scored just two points in his first 11 games played through October and and into November. And of course, that's when I dropped him, but now he's got five goals and eight assists for 13 points in his last 13 games played. He's playing with Barkov and Boyd, seeing a decent share of Florida's power play time. He's been helped along by some favorable percentages. He's still not taking a ton of shots. So I'd put him down as a good short-term ad. And you can see where he goes with this. Over his last 30 games played, he's been scoring at about a 65-point pace. That's pretty valuable, and you probably shouldn't leave guys like that sitting in free agency for too long. So you're saying people should pick up Huberto if he's available? Yes, depending on the depth of your league, you should either watch him or add him and see how much longer he can keep up this 65-point pace that he's been on for the last, like, almost two months. Well, hey, he's only 16.7% owned currently in ESPN, so that's a pretty good tip. I'm sure a lot of our listeners could go and grab Huberdo if they're so inclined. Let's do a quick lightning round, Brian. Do you have any more players you want to talk about this week? Yes, really quickly, Elon, I just want to point out Travis Zajac has seven points in his last nine games played, three goals and four assists. Clark MacArthur, he is making his way back towards fantasy relevance. There's a lot of leagues in which he's been cast aside, but he has seven points in his last 10 games. That's four goals and three assists. And finally, Elon, we've taken a ton of questions about Sammy Vatanen over the last little while. He had a six-game point draw in December that had a lot of people very concerned, wondering what's happened. This rookie was on a point-per-game pace. He was doing so well. He was cashing in on the power play so frequently and then went silent. For about two weeks, he only had three points in a 12-game stretch till recently coming on again with five points in seven games played so far in January. So if you're in a shallow league and you dropped him, you might want to consider picking him back up. Or if you were just getting frustrated, just, just check in and notice that he is producing for you again. Hopefully it continues for the rest of the season. All right, and with that, we've come to the end of this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. 
As always, I want to thank all of our listeners. Thank you for listening. If you're not following us on Twitter, I suggest you get on there, at Keeping Carlson. Like I've said before, you get mini episodes of Keeping Carlson every single time you read a tweet from our Twitter account, keeping you up to date on all the fantasy news. When we can't record a podcast every day, we could at least tweet every day. Also, if you want to show some support to the show, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. And I want to thank everyone who has given us a five-star review on iTunes. I think that's the best way that we can gain more listeners. I mentioned before how you could go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you want to donate to the show. But with that, let's get that outro music playing and Brian, read us the credits. This show was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. Everything we've said today was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, PuckOn.net, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job, Brian. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you all next week. Until then, please keep on keeping Carl's son. And Melker got a goal yesterday.